You're listening to Come Follow Me Weekly, a weekly podcast with thoughts and insights for the Come Follow Me lessons of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I'm your host, Heather Weber. Thanks for being here with me this week. The title of this week's lesson is, I Would That I Could Persuade All to Repent, and it covers Mormon chapters 1 through 6. I'm having some recording challenges today. We are actually building a pickleball court (laughs) on our property, and today I've got gravel trucks, dump trucks, compactors, all kinds of things. Every few minutes, my house starts shaking. (laughs) So if it sounds like there's an earthquake going on, it's not. It's just pickleball. (laughs) The opening paragraph of this week's lesson says, Mormon spared us the full account of the awful scene of wickedness and bloodshed that he saw among the Nephites. But what he did record in Mormon 1 through 6 is enough to remind us how far righteous people can fall. Amid such pervasive wickedness, no one could blame Mormon for becoming weary and even discouraged. Yet through all that he saw and experienced, he never lost his sense of God's great mercy and his conviction that repentance is the way to receive it. And although Mormon's own people rejected his pleading invitations to repent, he knew that he had a larger audience to persuade. Behold, he declared, I write unto all the ends of the earth. In other words, he wrote to you. And his message to you today is the same message that could have saved the Nephites in their day. Believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, repent, and prepare to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. If you're looking for some peaceful, comforting scriptures, this week is probably not your week. (laughs) We're reading about the fall of a nation. And it starts out with hundreds of thousands of people and ends with 24 being left alive. This week we are reading about the story of Mormon. When Mormon was 10 years old, a man named Amaron, who was the current prophet and keeper of the records, came to Mormon and told him that when he turned 24 years old, he should go and find all of the records that Amaron had secured away in a hill in the land of Antum. In verses 4 and 5 of chapter 1, it says, And behold, ye shall take the plates of Nephi unto yourself, and the remainder shall ye leave in the place where they are, and ye shall engrave on the plates of Nephi all the things that ye have observed concerning this people. And I, Mormon, being a descendant of Nephi, and my father's name was Mormon, I remembered the things which Amaron commanded me. We don't hear that much about Amaron, but I really admire his faith. Obviously, he was a prophet, but to go and tell a 10-year-old boy, hey, when you're 24, go and do this really important thing. (laughs) To me, that's just a great example of someone following a prompting, even though when you look at the situation rationally, maybe it didn't make a whole lot of sense. Amaron did exactly what he needed to do, and he had faith in the Lord that it would all work out. When Mormon was 11, he was taken by his father to the land of Zarahemla. And in that year, the Nephites and the Lamanites went to war. In verse 13 and 14, he says, But wickedness did prevail upon the face of the whole land, insomuch that the Lord did take away his beloved disciples, and the work of miracles and of healing did cease because of the iniquity of the people. And there were no gifts from the Lord, and the Holy Ghost did not come upon any because of their wickedness and unbelief. So things for the people were not looking so good. And at this point, Mormon was 15 years old, and he says that he was a sober-minded person. So that tells me that he was a thinker. He was serious and thoughtful about how he lived his life. He says that he was visited of the Lord and tasted and knew of the goodness of Jesus. So I think we can surmise from that that Mormon was visited by the Savior. So here we have a teenager living in an area where there was nothing but wickedness, yet he was righteous enough to see the Savior. So how did he do it? 
Mormon mentions a couple of times in this chapter that he had a sober mind. And I think that's something that we're missing a lot of in the world today, is people taking the time and effort to think for themselves. We need to take the time to get away from Facebook and Instagram and whatever else we're immersing ourselves in and just think. Sit quietly and let the Spirit speak. We need to make an effort to hear Him and listen to the quiet voice of the Spirit. We need to know what we think and how we feel, uninfluenced by the loud voices of the world. When we have personal convictions, I think it's easier to stay strong. But if we're constantly influenced by the voices all around us, we'll just end up following whatever path those voices choose to lead. And I imagine Mormon wasn't just inherently righteous with no effort. I'm sure he took the time to do the things that he'd been taught. I'm sure he studied the words of past prophets. I'm sure he prayed. And I'm sure he felt a responsibility to keep his good name and honor his ancestry by the way he lived his life. He mentions both the fact that he is named after his father and that he's a descendant of Nephi. So I think both of those things were really important to him. In the end, though, his righteousness, just like for all of us, came down to his daily choices. And because of his choices, he was protected and he was blessed, and he was able to fulfill his purpose here on this earth. And for all of us, we may not be asked to lead a nation or keep sacred records for the world to read, But each one of us also has a purpose, and we can follow Mormon's example by making good daily choices and taking time to think for ourselves and to listen to the Spirit in our own lives so that we can fulfill our purposes as well. The next section of the lesson talks about the difference between worldly sorrow and godly sorrow. In chapter 2, Mormon tells us that when he was 16 years old, he became the leader of the Nephite armies. It says that he was large in stature. And I'm sure the people also recognized that he had something that no one else had, which was the Holy Ghost, to help him. So he became their leader. And at this time, the Nephites were again at war with the Lamanites. He says in verse 8 that there was blood and carnage spread throughout all the face of the land, both on the part of the Nephites and also on the part of the Lamanites. And it was one complete revolution throughout all the face of the land. There were thieves and robbers and murderers throughout the land. And because of this and all of their challenges, the Nephites began to be sorrowful. And for a little bit, Mormon had some hope because he thought the people were starting to become repentant. In verses 13 and 14, he says, But behold, this my joy was vain, for their sorrowing was not unto repentance because of the goodness of God, but it was rather the sorrowing of the damned because the Lord would not always suffer them to take happiness in sin. And they did not come unto Jesus with broken hearts and contrite spirits, but they did curse God and wish to die. Nevertheless, they would struggle with the sword for their lives. The Nephites had worldly sorrow. They were sad because falling away from what they knew was right wasn't making them happy, and that made them mad. I've seen this in my life and in the life of my children. When we are headed down the wrong path or on our way to making the wrong choices, life suddenly becomes frustrating and confusing. To me, it's an alarm bell telling me to turn around and go the other way before it's too late. President Uchtdorf said this, The Apostle Paul taught that godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. Godly sorrow inspires change and hope through the atonement of Jesus Christ. Worldly sorrow pulls us down, extinguishes hope, and persuades us to give in to further temptation. Godly sorrow leads to conversion and a change of heart. It causes us to hate sin and love goodness. It encourages us to stand up and walk in the light of Christ's love. 
One of the adversary's methods to prevent us from progressing is to confuse us about who we really are and what we really desire. We want to spend time with our children, but we also want to engage in our favorite hobbies. We want to lose weight, but we also want to enjoy the foods we crave. We want to become Christ-like, but we also want to give the person who cuts us off in traffic a piece of our mind. Satan's purpose is to tempt us to exchange the priceless pearls of true happiness and eternal values for a fake plastic trinket that is merely an illusion and counterfeit of happiness and joy. To me, godly sorrow is humility. It's us acknowledging that the Lord's way is better than our way and that we are willing to repent and change and trust his plan for our lives. It's not just being upset that the things we want aren't working out. It would be great if we could just do whatever we wanted with no consequences. And if this life was all there is, then I guess we could certainly do that and not worry about it. But that's not the case. It's like we've heard before, we're in the second act of a three-act play. There is way more for us than just this life. And we are here to constantly try and improve and to put our will in line with God's will for us. That takes work and effort and it takes trying and failing and trying again every single day of our lives. And all that is possible because of our Savior, Jesus Christ. In chapter 3, ten years had gone by between battles between the Nephites and the Lamanites. And the Lord told Mormon to start preaching to the people. He told Mormon to cry unto this people, Repent ye, and come unto me, and to be baptized, and build up again my church, and ye shall be spared. So Mormon did this, but it had no effect. The Nephites chose not to acknowledge that it was the Lord who had been helping them. They thought it was through their own efforts and through their own awesomeness. The Lamanites and the Nephites once again had a huge battle. And this time the Nephites were victorious. But instead of thanking their Heavenly Father for helping them, they just bragged more about how awesome they were. So what happens to us when we boast in our own strength like the Nephites did? The Lord tells us in the Doctrine and Covenants, Beware of pride, lest ye become as the Nephites of old. This attitude led to their destruction as a nation. In the end, they refused to acknowledge the Lord's hand in their lives. They quit listening, and as a consequence, they stopped receiving help, and they were destroyed. When we quit listening, and if we decide that we no longer need the Savior in our lives, and we can just navigate this life on our own, we put ourselves at a huge disadvantage, and we put our spiritual lives in danger. I think we need to think back to the words of Ammon, where he said, Yea, I know that I am nothing. As to my strength, I am weak. Therefore, I will not boast of myself, but I will boast of my God. For in his strength, I can do all things. Yea, behold, many mighty miracles we have wrought in this land, for which we will praise his name forever. And doesn't that seem like such a better way to live, to live in gratitude each day for the awesome blessings and help that we receive? We have a choice each day to focus on our blessings or focus on our trials. When we take a step back and start to notice and recognize and give thanks for the tender mercies we receive each day, our lives become infinitely happier and more peaceful. A few weeks ago in General Conference, Elder Gong said, Truly, for those with faithful hearts and eyes to see, the Lord's tender mercies are manifest amidst life's challenges. And I know that we can see those tender mercies every day in our lives if we just take the time to look for them. Well, at this point, Mormon had just about had enough with trying to help the Nephites mend their ways. He had done all he could for them. But just like with all of us, they had their agency and they were going to choose their own fate. Mormon may have been without hope for the Nephites, but he didn't give up on his own mission. 
He still trusted in his Savior and was committed to doing the things that he was asked to do. So he keeps writing his record because he knows that it will influence many people in the future. In chapter 5, verses 13 and 14, he says, And this is the commandment which I have received. And behold, they shall come forth according to the commandment of the Lord, when he shall see fit in his wisdom. And behold, they shall go unto the unbelieving of the Jews, and for this intent shall they go, that they may be persuaded that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, that the Father may bring about through his most beloved his great and eternal purpose in restoring the Jews, or all the house of Israel, to the land of their inheritance, which the Lord their God hath given them unto the fulfilling of his covenant. And we know that the gathering of Israel is going on right now. In fact, President Nelson has said that it is the most important thing happening on the earth right now. In chapter 6, we find out that Mormon is now old, and he has taken the records that were entrusted to him and hidden them in a hill. Then he took this abridgment, which he had been making, and gave it to his son Moroni. The Lamanites and Nephites were once again going to battle, and Mormon knew that this would be the last great battle of his people. At the end of this battle, over 200,000 people were killed, and there were 24 Nephites left. Among those were Mormon and his son Moroni. In verses 17 through 20, Mormon says, O ye fair ones, how could ye have departed from the ways of the Lord? O ye fair ones, how could ye have rejected that Jesus, who stood with open arms to receive you? Behold, if ye had not done this, ye would not have fallen, but behold, ye are fallen, and I mourn your loss. O ye fair sons and daughters, ye fathers and mothers, ye husbands and wives, ye fair ones, how is it that ye could have fallen? But behold, ye are gone, and my sorrows cannot bring your return. The important thing to note in these verses to me is the fact that through all of their struggles and pride and sin, the Savior was standing with open arms to receive them. He was there. He never moved. And his arms were open wide. He felt this way about the Nephites, and he feels this way about you. You are never lost until it's too late. And if you're listening to me right now today, it's not too late. Some days we might feel like giving up on ourselves, but I know that our Savior and our Heavenly Father never give up on us. All they ask is that we keep trying and keep moving forward with faith and hope for the future. And those are my thoughts for this week's lesson. I want to thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate it. This week I'm having my first young women's activity at my house, so cross your fingers for me that it goes well. (laughs) Don't forget that you can find me on Instagram at comefollowmeweekly, or you can email me at cfmweekly at gmail.com. Have a great week, everybody. Thank you.